10 to 1, episode 28. Top 10 Books 2016. Welcome to 10 to 1, the podcast where we make top 10 lists about everything. I'm Melissa Kozer. And I'm Brian Kozer. And I'm excited. I think this might be the episode I've looked forward to the most in the last several episodes. Although movies. Maybe some movies. Of the, yeah. Uh, movies was the one sphere. for me. I was going to say, other than maybe some of the ones where we had some special guests on. Oh, yeah. And one reason I'm really excited is because in 2016, I got back into books in a big way. So... Growing up, read a lot of books. I remember the summer before we got married, I read a bunch of books. And then after we got married, started doing some other hobbies more often, started playing more board games. And I think we did more video games when we were first married. Yeah. And just had other things going on and did more reading on the internet and lesson books <laughs> and listened to a lot of podcasts. But 2016, decided get back into books read some of our books on the shelves. Some Stick of the, to the old paths. Right. Start reading some classics. There's some people that were encouraging me. Yeah, you should read the classics. A former pastor that we had wrote a blog post about reading the classics and educating yourself. And Ben DeBono over at the Sci-Fi Christian talking about reading the classics. And so I started getting into that in 2016 and listened to some audiobooks. Hadn't done that much before 2016. And so, yeah, I'm excited to talk about Talk about the top ten that I read. So you read you read a lot as well growing up too. In my life, yeah. And uh, while I haven't kept track of every single book that I've ever read, like you have, right? I'd say I've probably read about as many books as you have. And I certainly didn't have the reading goal that you had for this past year, but uh, I met my reading goal yeah. and exceeded Good job. it. I'm pretty proud of myself for that. You should be. All right. Well, shall I start? Yeah. And just before we start, just to let everybody know, I'm not saying these are necessarily the top 10 best books. It's our oh, yeah. top 10 favorites. So Of the ones that we read in 2016. And right. For the first time. Yes. So no, no rereads. Yeah, no rereads. Which I don't reread books too often anyway, but there yeah. is one that, that would have been top 10, I think, had it not been the second or third oh, yeah? or what fifth was it? or tenth time I'd re read it. I'll just have to wait and see. Huh. It might come up. Oh, okay. All right. Well, my number 10 is a book called The Phantom Tollbooth. Oh, and it's actually yeah. more of a kid's book. And right. it's about this kid who's really bored and he's not interested in school. He has no imagination or whatever. And so his uncle sends him a... His uncle? Somebody like that. Sends him a phantom toll booth. Does he ever um, find out who sent it to him? I don't remember. I read this at the beginning of the year, so I don't really remember mm -hmm. too much yeah. from it. But basically, he uh, constructs this little toll booth, and then uh, it comes with a little car. So he gets into the car, puts a coin into the toll booth, and drives through it just because he's so bored. And he's like, well, I might as well do this. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, he's instantly transported to a whole other realm of imagination. And all sorts of crazy things happen to him. And there's a whole lot of plays on words. And it's actually a really clever little book. Mm -hmm. I don't know if kids would enjoy it. 
too much. I mean, I guess they would. It's it's pretty imaginative. But as an adult, boy, I really enjoyed this book. And I was not expecting to. Just it's it's got so many turn of phrases and, and clever uh clever puns and plays on words. Mm-hmm. So that's my number ten. The Phantom Tollbooth. Nice. Yeah, I I also gave that one five stars, and uh, that would definitely be an honorable mention for me. Yeah, great children children's book. I, I'd say it is a children's book, and it's just one that adults can have fun reading to children. Yeah. Like, I don't think I would have ever read it if we hadn't had uh, a child. Yeah, but it's a good read, even as an adult. Uh, I think there's one part I really like where they uh, he gets into this car, uh, this other car, in a town and he asks the you know the driver well how are we going to to aren't you going to start the car and he's like i will as soon as as you stop talking and and the boy is kind of confused and he says why well it goes without saying yep i think that was my favorite part as well (laughs) yeah so there's a bunch of uh silly fun word Right, or they go to the place with uh, the math magician. Oh yeah, some different math things. So then he simply he moved them simply by carrying the three. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good choice. My number ten, Phantom Tollbooth. The Phantom Tollbooth by Norton Juster. Good choice. All right, my number ten is a sci-fi classic. If you ask me to name name you out some sci-fi classics. This is one of the first ones that's going to pop to my mind. And I had started reading it a few years ago, and I think I had it from the library, and it was just, it was slow. I wasn't getting into it. And so I ended up having to take it back, so I had read, I don't know, the first hundred pages and never finished it. But picked it up again this year, and again, it was kind of slow. It starts pretty slowly. But uh, finally got into it, finally finished it. Number 10 is Dune by Frank Herbert. And I wasn't really sure what I thought about Dune at first because, like I said, it's really slow. It's less about characters, even though there are some good characters. Hmm. It's more of a a book about world building. Hmm. He really builds out this world of Dune. Uh, It's a desert planet. In fact, um, it's supposed to be really influential on George Lucas as far as Hmm. Tatooine. And some of the things even he mentions, like, I think he mentions moisture farms in A New Hope, and that's from cool uh, from Dune, and some other story points are, are somewhat similar. And so uh, it's it's got a, a really interesting uh, sci-fi fantasy world, uh, sci-fi world, I guess. Uh, there's uh, some real interesting things that go on. I won't, I won't say too much about the plot, um, but the plot even itself isn't... Um, maybe anything new that you haven't read. Um, so it's the pleasure that I get, I guess, from the book is just how well he um, paints the picture of this world, how realistic it seems with mm-hmm. a real history and a real geography and a real ecology, real way that people would live, the whole culture that seems very real. And uh, it's really fascinating. And it's a slow burn, but uh, if you have the patience... For some slower sci-fi, I would definitely highly recommend Dune. And uh, it's crazy that this is my number 10. Uh, you can tell how good a year it is when 
an, an absolute classic like Dune makes it it's only, your only number my 10. number 10. And uh, yeah, it, there were some other books that I thought about putting in my 10, and I thought, no, I really have to put this on my 10. Yeah, I actually did try reading Dune once. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I told you, but it was just too slow for me at the time. Yeah. And I, yep. I completely got bored. I, I might, I'll probably give it another chance at some point, mm-hmm. but I don't see that happening for several more years. Not till I start slowing down in life. Gotcha. All right. Right well, now I'm just smoking on all cylinders. I guess so. <laughs> That's my number 10, Dune by Frank Herbert. Okay, my number nine is a book called Magician Apprentice. Oh. Okay, so uh, there's like this really big series. It's the Rift War Saga Mm -hmm. is, I think, the first four books. But then there's, like you said, a whole world. Yeah, there's like 20, 30 books. Yeah, this group of people. And so anyway, it's kind of a, it's fantasy and it's sort of set back when there's there's magic uh and it's it's it starts out as your generic fantasy book where orphan nobody ends up going off on this quest with a whole bunch of other people and adventures happen to them and then he ends up be starting to do great and noble deeds uh, and so, I mean, at first, it was actually a pretty boring book. <laughs> like, one exciting thing seemed to happen uh, at first, and then nothing happened for hmm. another hundred pages. But I stuck with it because you thought I would enjoy it. Yeah. So I was like, well, maybe it'll get better. And surprisingly, at, like, page 115, it, it was... Over 100 pages into the book. Mm-hmm. It actually started to get really good. Yeah. And then I couldn't put the book down. <laughs> uh, now, it's still only my number nine because it is fairly generic. Okay. But it, it was a good book, and I did enjoy reading it. Uh, I read the second book and wasn't as impressed with it, even though more happens and you're more familiar with the characters or whatever. Mm-hmm. But... Somehow it just did not grip me as much. Hmm. But the first okay. one I had a good time with. And that is Magician Apprentice. Enough that you would read three and four? In yeah, series? I'll read them at some point. I'm, okay. They're not high on my list to read. And sure. I, don't, I don't even know if I'll get around to them this year. There's other stuff that I'm a lot more excited to read. Right. But yeah, eventually. I, I, I could pretty much agree. Not especially deep of a book but uh, a good yarn as yeah. the author says yeah it's kind of uh, a popcorn popcorn yeah. book if you have like popcorn summer action movies i'd say i'd kind of put this in that category just a fun book fun and characters that i really liked one thing i will say about it it was easy to just sit back to sit down and get back into if oh, you would okay, put it yeah. down for a while it at least the first book mm-hmm. wasn't too hard to just get back into yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad you liked it. My number nine, Magician Apprentice. By Raymond Feist. Yeah. All right. My number nine is one of the books. I might have mentioned it in passing in our movies episode. It's one of the books that I watched the movie and read the book in the same year. And it's The Prestige ah. by Christopher Priest. I thought you were going to mention a different book. Uh, Nope. 
Nope. Okay. So The Prestige, if you have not seen the Christopher Nolan movie, you should check out the book first. Uh, And it's about two rival magicians. It's, I think, early 1900s, very late 1800s, right around the turn of the century. Very much kind of a steampunk feel to it. Yeah, it has kind of a steampunk feel. And uh, the the book really gets into uh, the relationship between these two and how it starts off as, uh, well, there's an incident that happens early on, very soon after they meet each other, and it just sets them against each other for their entire careers. And they go back and forth. They're trying to outdo each other. Uh, they end up um, really doing things to harm each other. And it's just uh, really interesting to see uh, the lengths that uh, the men will go to uh, to uh, be better, I guess, to one-up each other. And then uh, the author does some really interesting things with, um, there's a, a story, uh, what's it called, a, uh, I forget what the term is, but basically where there's, a sto- it's a story within a story. So you have the first oh, yeah. story, and it's about uh, this young man, and then uh, in the pro- uh, during the book, he f- he ends up finding a diary of one of his ancestors. Yeah, that's a pretty cool part of the movie. Yeah, and so then the ancestor uh, is, um, well, actually, this character is not in the movie. No. Oh. Uh, it's a character that they took out. In the movie, it's just the story. Um, but in the book, there's this young man, and then there's this girl, and they're both uh, descendants of the two magicians. Ah. And during the book, you end up reading both of the diaries of the two men, or the journals, I guess, since they're mm-hmm. men, not women. But, <laughs> uh, And so it's interesting seeing the same story from both perspectives. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. And then uh, just some different things with the plot. There's some different twists and turns. And... I think I would say if you've seen the movie and liked it, you should still check out the book. It's different enough that you'd okay. still enjoy it. And um, there's def- definitely some plot things that are different and might still take you um, unawares. By surprise. Okay. Right. So Yeah. Well, you intrigued me because I actually did enjoy The Prestige this last time that I watched it. So uh, maybe I-, I will go check out the book. Yeah, yeah, I have it on audiobook, so you can okay. listen to that anytime. And the one interesting thing was that I have always really liked the movie, The Prestige. This last time I watched it, I didn't like it as much, I guess, just it being so much less content than the book uh, kind of dropped it for me, unfortunately. It's still a really good movie. I'd still recommend it. And still Christopher Nolan. Well, then maybe people but, should read the or watch the movie first. Well, instead of reading the book, I'd still recommend the book first. But mm-hmm. I do know some people that would recommend movie first and then book in this case. So. Yeah, I always say whichever one is inferior is the one that you should experience first. Um, I disagree. I think pretty much always, almost without exception, book first. If you're going to read both, or if you're going to do both. If you're not planning to ever read the book, that's fine. Go watch the movie. But if you're planning to maybe do both, I would say book first because it's such a different medium. Um, You have to form your own picture of the characters, etc. Instead of watching the movie and then you get this idea of Of what uh, everything looks like. And 
um, the book subtleties might be lost on you then at that point. And you don't have to use your imagination as much. So I'm a book first guy. Yeah, but see, if I read the book first, then I get it into my mind of this is what it should look like. And then if I see yeah. the movie, a lot of times it doesn't matter how wonderfully done the movie is. It's not how I pictured it. I guess, would you rather have the best experience with the book or the best experience with the movie? Well, I can have both if I see the movie first, <laughs> and then I just judge the movie and the book separately. Otherwise, I'm completely judging the movie based off the book. Why would you not be judging the book based off the movie? It's different in my mind. Huh. Well, you gotta just accept it, okay? I, just, I totally disagree on this God one. made me this way. But that's my number nine, <laughs> The Prestige, by Christopher Priest, my first Christopher Priest book. And I'm definitely going to check him out some more this year. Okay. My number eight, I think you're going to be sad that this one is not higher. Okay. It's The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay. No, that's fine. Top eight. Yeah. I I liked it. I, th I definitely think there are some clever things about it. Yeah. But I think there... There were a couple problems. First of all, I think part of it was that you were reading it to me. Okay. And that's not the problem, but the problem was that it took so long yeah. for us to finish the book. Right. Just the times where we would actually just sit down and read to each other were so far in between that things just kept on getting jumbled up. And I feel that this is one of those books you really need to just read straight through, blow through it. Yeah. And the other thing was, it's a super random book. <laughs> I mean, just not, nothing really is connected to each other. I, I want to read the the rest of the series uh -huh. and see how it comes together as a whole. But uh, pretty much events just kind of keep happening. And even by the end of the book, nothing has really tied it all together. So it's a clever, it, it's fun. And it's certainly an interesting take on the, the origins of the world. <laughs> <laughs> but just it was it was kind of too random and then especially added to the fact that uh it was just broken up so much over the year that reduced it all the way down to eight for me. Gotcha. Okay. Well yeah, I read this this is for the first time in high school and it was one of the books that I was just floored by, like, have you ever read a book and just felt, I'm trying to think of the best way to put it, kind of euphoric, I guess. Yeah. Just su super, almost like you're, I assume, <laughs> almost like you're on a, on a drug or something, <laughs> like you're, you're just uh, exhilarated, I guess, maybe I the best wouldn't word. know. Right. Exhilarated. I was exhilarated reading, reading the book, and I think I already had the sequel at the time, so i don't think I, I'm trying to remember if I, if this was one of the books I went back and read from the beginning again. It might be. I might have just had the first one, finished it, and immediately turned back to page one and started it again. Wow. Which I've only done maybe two or three times in my life. But uh, I yeah, it just floored me. It was, it was hilarious. Uh, some of his creative ideas kept hitting me. I was probably just at that right age to read it where, you know, sci-fi is the best thing ever. Right. As a... Um, you know, high school boy, and you're just learning these, uh, getting these new ideas, and um, his British sense of humor yeah. was amazing, just my sense of humor, and the way he writes is really great. It's a travesty. He didn't get to write more before he died yeah. at an early age, and so, yeah, this is one of my favorite books of all time. This is uh, 
a five star honorable mention for me since I've read it probably half dozen times. I will say I, I read it for you. I've read a lot of sci-fi fantasy and uh-huh. uh you know and there's a lot of really generic stuff out there but Douglas Adams does do unique things with his oh, yeah. sci-fi and fantasy. So I will definitely give it that uh Hitchhiker's Guide is very very unique. Yep. Speaking of books that uh, just gave you a euphoric feeling. Okay. Uh, are we are we gonna do a list about that sometime, or maybe I'm not sure how different that would be than my top ten books. But okay, because uh, I have top ten books of all time, but mm-hmm. not all of them gave me. Well, yeah, I would say not all of them gave me that euphoric feeling. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not sure if I could come up with ten that gave me that feeling, and probably all right. ten would be in my top ten. But we might still do the list sometime. Okay. We'll see. Or maybe include other things other than just books. Okay. All right, go for it. What's your number eight? Awesome. Number eight, and I believe this is my only nonfiction book. Yes. So uh, I read 45 books this last year, uh, 2016. 35 were fiction, 10 were nonfiction. I'll probably try and do a little bit more nonfiction this year, but reading through our bookshelves, most of what we own is fiction. And audiobooks, I prefer fiction. So uh, that was a lot of what I read. Also, the classics that I'm uh, currently going through are all fiction right now. So that being said, my favorite nonfiction book from last year, my number eight, is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And I'd read a little bit of nonfiction from C.S. Lewis, but mostly I'd read his fiction. Chronicles of Narnia, Space Trilogy... And I'd read Screwtape Letters, which is nonfiction, but fiction at the same time. I mean, it's it's fiction because right. it's supposed to be a demon writing a letter uh, to another demon. But it's basically nonfiction yeah. uh, Christian. He's commenting on Christian book. Yeah, on right. Christianity and its state. It's a really good book. Yeah, that one is good. Uh, and I haven't read it in a few years. I'll have to go back and read it sometime. Uh, but... I think I, I think I liked Mere Christianity better. He goes into uh, what he calls Mere Christianity, so sort of the foundational principles of Christianity. He talks about uh, some things like the existence of God. He talks about um, some different moral questions, and uh, really good. I really like his sort of casual style. Um, I guess it might frustrate some people that want really clear um, black and white theology in some ways, but I think he was more going for just sort of a conversational. um, I think this was actually, I believe this was radio lectures he originally gave. So it was basically something where, you know, Grandpa Lewis is coming up to the radio microphone and uh, sort of like we're doing, just kind of talking things out and then put that down into a book later. And so... Um, really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed the things he go. He went over very thought provoking. And so, um, if you're a Christian or if you're just interested in, in finding out, um, why Christians believe, uh, some of the things we believe and just seeing, okay, what are some of the basics of Christianity? What is this Christian Christianity thing about? Then, uh, mere Christianity is probably one of the books I'd recommend hmm. people check out. So very interesting. You should read it, Melissa. Yeah, I probably will at some point. I have it on audiobook. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I might do it that way. So. Be faster. 
Yep, got into audiobooks more in 2016, and uh, they're good. All right. That's my number eight, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Okay, my number seven is a book that Brian and I read aloud to each other, Three Men in a Boat by Jerome K. Jerome. (laughs) What a fun romp. So it's a book about these three guys. They decide, wouldn't it be lovely to go boating down the Thames and uh, just they pack like a crazy amount of junk to take with them. Most of it unnecessary, but they're planning for every occasion, you know, and, and they're just kind of pack rats to be to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I guess a lot of it's food, too. They do not know how to pack just the essentials. Anyway, so they go boating along the Thames with a dog in the boat as well. And it's it chronicles their adventures as they uh, spend several nights. What, what was it? They were going to do a fortnight, so that's 14 nights. Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah, and uh, it's it's just really hilarious uh, listening to their opinions on things and how whoever is happens to be narrating at the time always thinks that they're right and everybody else is wrong, uh, <laughs> and they can't see anything wrong with their opinion, and it's just really fun. It's it's really great British humor. I loved it. It did it did natter on a couple of times talking about stuff that was kind of off topic. So that that was a little kind of took me out of the moment, but Okay. I guess it's it's kind of one of the characteristics of this writer, I suppose, just that <laughs> sometimes he'll he'll natter on about the history behind this place that they're sailing by or something. Right, right. So it was originally going to be a non-fiction travelogue about him and his friends okay. traveling down the river and then he kept adding different funny funny anecdotes oh yeah and eventually it became a fictional okay fictional thing. so you can kind of see the how okay. it evolved yeah i do see that now kind of a, a series of funny stories boy i wish i'd known that that might have helped me yeah <laughs> oh well it's still a really fun book that you guys should check out i gave it four or five stars mm-hmm Yep. Yeah, this is definitely an honorable mention for me. Gave it four out of five stars. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to me how well the humor holds up. So this was written 1889. And it definitely feels like it could have been written just a few years ago. Um, and you had a favorite quote from it. What was it about? You posted on Goodreads about it. About yeah, this is one of the books I pulled out some fun quotes on Goodreads. Um, yeah, we're both on Goodreads. By the which is way. a website where you can keep track of the books you're reading. And find that next book that you'll love. And write reviews. And so, yeah, go follow us there if you're a member of that website. Or if and if you're not in... a member and you like to read books, you should definitely go ahead and become a member right now. It's free. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like Facebook for book lovers. Yeah, it's really great. Go check it out. Kind of thing. So, yeah. And our uh, my reviews, at least from last year, are also on our website, coaster.us. No. Okay. And hopefully this year I will get it set up to where we can, both of our book reviews, if you write reviews for book, or when you write a review for book, it will also be posted on our website. But right now that's under construction. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Three Men in a Boat. It's amazing how well the humor holds up 130 years later. And uh, I think it's probably because most of the things that he makes jokes about are very uh, common 
to everyday human life, nature, right? Yeah. Human nature kind of things. Uh, people being lazy or people being stupid um, or people being uh, short-sighted where they think they're good at something and they're not. Or people just making fun of other people's uh, misfortunes. Right. So a very general uh, type humor, but very well done. Yeah. And so good choice. Yeah. My number seven, Three Men in a Boat. By Jerome K. Jerome. All right. My number seven is called We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. I've heard of this one. Yeah, this is one that uh, they mentioned on the Sci-Fi Christian. Ben DeBono really liked this one. And yeah, I would also add my recommendation. I think I might have bookmarked it as one to read. I think you did. I think you did. And it's interesting how many of these are, are audiobooks that I've really liked. This was also an audiobook that I have. I'll have to, I'll have to count out how many of this top ten were, were audiobooks. But... Uh, yeah, it's a, I don't want to tell you too much about the plot. This is definitely one that you should just go into without knowing too much, but it's sort of a um, quietly odd book with some really good characters, and uh, it's one of those books where not very much happens. There's not a whole lot of action in the book. It's mostly people having conversations and, you know, some small everyday things happen, but really good. Really good fiction. Um, really like uh, Shirley, Jack- Shirley Jackson's fiction. I also read The Lottery. Have you ever read that? No, I haven't. It's a really, really short story. It's like five pages or something. Well, so you should Google it. It's really short. Yeah, five, ten pages at the most. And uh, really like that. So then decided to check this book out as well. And uh, I'm excited to, to read some more of her fiction. She, she can make things that are pretty normal be fairly creepy so okay um yep very good writer very good book i think the the main character of this book um mary Catherine blackwood i think i might have mentioned in our sci-fi fantasy characters list if i had read this book before i made that list she might have made my top 10 so really good characters and uh good writing style it's really short if you get the audiobook it's five hours i think so i don't know maybe under 200 pages of a book so check it out very good classic kind of uh fiction okay we have always lived in the castle by shirley jackson that's my number seven all right my number six is a book by terry pratchett uh-huh. another one that we read together read aloud to each other weird sisters yeah weird is spelled w-y-r-d and this probably would have been higher if it hadn't taken so long to read it out to each other. <laughs> Boy, I, I like reading books to you, but it just, these days, it takes us so long to read them it to does, each other. It does, I don't know. That <laughs> might, we might have to retire that for a little while. But, boy, what a fun time. So, if you love Shakespeare, and if you don't mind a little bit of fun being poked at Shakespeare's plays, then you will like this book because this is Shakespeare reimagined right here. <laughs> so he takes uh, the three witches from Double Double, Toil and Trouble, Macbeth. and the basic plot of Macbeth and kind of reimagines it a little bit. Still has witches, still has a king that gets killed, and his ghost haunts the castle. Oh, that part's from Hamlet. Uh Oh yeah, it's it's got a bunch of different uh mm-hmm. plays in there. But it's it's just so much fun and of course it's got 
it's Terry Pratchett with his clever witticisms uh, at one point. Uh, a witch is going going to go meet this this young man that she's got a fancy for, and she's a younger witch, and but she's still not very pretty, and she uh she tried to put on makeup, and boy, it just made her look dreadful. <laughs> and so a guard sees her passing, and he makes a sign to ward off the evil eye shadow. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that line, and so. Things like that that just take you off guard. It's a, it's fun to read aloud. It's fun to just read uh, to yourself as well. Uh, it's Terry Pratchett, Weird Sisters. Very good choice. Yep, this was an honorable mention for me. I think this is my. This would be like my number eleven. Okay. Really liked it, and uh, probably his first really really solid novel. I've liked oh, yeah? his other ones. Okay. Um, maybe Mort was his first great one, but okay. Uh, this. This is the first witches one that I really enjoyed. Yeah, this is this is one of his early ones where he uh, maybe his first one where he was really hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, and yeah, I think the best thing about Terry Pratchett is you can read it at different levels. You can read it just as a fun story with fun characters and funny puns, and then you can read it at the level where he's poking fun at all these different things. Like in yeah. this one, it's Shakespeare. In other ones, it's um, maybe fantasy. Or literature in general, or, or religion, yeah. or uh, the police, or noir uh, or films. Or governments, or whatever, right. yeah. So he has uh, um, uh, different uh, references and, and maybe uh, um, puns off of different other stories that you might be familiar with. And then at another level, he's writing uh, some really biting satire yeah, he in is. some of these, and really... Um, uh, really has some bite underneath all of the uh, funny things that he says. And so, yeah, I really like it, the, the different levels he writes at. And uh, it's a shame that he passed away in 2016. Yeah. He was a really great author. So, good choice. Yeah. My number six, Weird Sisters. All right. My number six is one of the first of those, or actually, I guess it is the first of those classics that I said I started reading. And it's The Inferno by Dante Alighieri. And so uh, the Inferno is um, basically Dante goes down to hell and he sees different levels of hell and he meets a bunch of um, historical uh, characters, a lot of people that uh, he knew in real life, uh, other politicians and things like that. And uh, they're in hell for different reasons. And so he's led through hell um, in this uh, really um, kind of dark, uh, twisted <laughs> journey, um, but um, I think it's it was it was a really good read. Um, I mean, it's amazing the poetry that he read. So we I read a uh, a translation into English, of course, and it was a um, poetry translation by John Chardy. Very well done. Uh, very good, I guess, for beginners is what I'm told. And uh, the poetry is spot on. Uh, the structure that he uses is very good. Um, and it's it's a really amazing work. And uh, it's easy to see why people have been reading it for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so uh, I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't really expect to enjoy reading it. Um, but I did, as much as you can say uh, you're enjoying reading about uh, this man walking through hell. <laughs> um, and uh, 
you shouldn't read it as a theological handbook, definitely. Um, I don't, I'm not even sure what parts of this Dante would have thought really existed. Like, right. did you really think that there were these different levels of hell and that they, um, you know, that uh, the very bottom le- level with Satan in it was frozen with ice and, you know, all these different things. Did he really believe that? Did he really believe uh, the different punishments in here? But it's um, still a really good read. Right. I don't, I, I don't think so, but I don't really know historically if he did or if the people then did believe that. Um, but you're not reading it for the theology uh, so much as um, for some things like um, just how sobering it is, uh, the different punishments he talks about for people, and um, uh, the beauty of the language that he writes it in. And uh, yeah, you should definitely check out this classic. This is uh, something that got me interested in reading uh, more classics, and so I actually decided to go back um, kind of to the beginning and go somewhat chronologically through through a bunch of classics. So I definitely recommend it. I'm going to, at some point, get back chronologically to Dante and move through <laughs> uh, Purgatorio and Paradiso, and I'll let you know how those are. But right. uh, I will tell you that uh, Dante's Inferno is worth reading. That's my number six. Okay, my number five is the only nonfiction work on my list. I think okay. I think I only read one nonfiction book last year. There you go. But all the same, for it to actually make it onto my list, my top ten list, I read 17 books. I had meant to read, read 10 last year, and I read 17. And the fact that this made it not only into the top ten, but also the top five. Hmm means I really liked this nonfiction book. I really don't gravitate towards nonfiction. I'm a definitely fiction reader. Anyway, this book is called Eating on the Wild Side by Joe Robinson. So, I mean, there's so many things going against this for me. Like, it's, first of all, it's nonfiction. Second of all, it's about eating healthy. (laughs) Who wants to read about that? That turns me off right at the start. If I read anything about food, it's going to be about how to make cupcakes turn out well or or beautiful cakes I can make or something like that. But we were given this book by... No, we heard about this book on a podcast called Freakonomics. Mm-hmm. And yep. they really recommended it, said it was really good. So we bought it and I started reading it and I really enjoyed it. It's very well written. Uh, it's it's an interesting read just by itself. Like the way it's written doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a textbook. It's easy reading. And then what it does is it tells you here's the history of different fruits and vegetables, and uh, here's why people started eating them, the health benefits. Here are the modifications that we have made to them over the years. And here is what the most healthy type of this fruit or vegetable is. So one example is corn. I mean, I'm not going to get all of my facts right here. But basically, you know, the the Indians ate maize. And uh, it was, uh, you know, basically wild corn and not super cultivated at that point. And um, they... It was really healthful. Well, through the years, we figured out how to make super sweet corn because 
uh, we as Americans, we don't like any bitter foods. And so <laughs> uh, we've basically bleached out pretty much all of the ingredient, all of the the nutrients by going for only the super sweet stuff. Uh, but one thing that the author talked about that I thought was really interesting was that genetically modified foods can be really helpful. So there are so many people out there that are all, I go for non-GMO only right. because if it's genetically modified, it must be bad for you. Well, surprise, surprise. It can actually be genetically modified to produce healthful results. Now, hmm. you have to do your research. Uh, there are a lot of uh, corn strains that aren't he healthy, hmm. um, but there are some genetically modified corn strains that are. And one of the ones that she talked about that was uh, not corn, one of the fruits that was genetically modified it, that's so much better than the original version was grapefruit. The red grapefruit, the the grapefruit uh -huh. that has red flesh on the, on the inside, mm -hmm. is actually a lot better for you than just the, the regular original hmm. wild grapefruit. Okay. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting. It took a different stance than most than what was popular. So I I really like that this book is all about what is, what are the facts, what's true, mm -hmm. what's actually healthy for you. And then it tells, gives you graphs and charts and tells you, here's what you can find that's most, most healthy. Uh, if you can't find the most healthy thing, like purple carrots and stuff like that, yes, they do actually exist, <laughs> then here's what you should look for at your average local supermarket. And then she tells you how to cook said vegetable so that you can get the most nutrients from it. Hmm. And even include some uh, pretty tasty looking recipes scattered throughout the book. So it's a really good book if you are cons if you are interested at all in being a little bit healthier. <laughs> as I am, I'm not a, a health nut by any sense of the word, but you know I I do feel there is room for improvement in our diet. Yeah, this is this is a really good start. Uh, it gives you everything you need to know to, if nothing else, go pick out the best, freshest f produce out there. So, it's really good. Nice. Yeah, and that Freakonomics episode is titled Food Plus Science Equals Victory, if you want to go check it out. Yeah, that was and a good episode. check out Freakonomics. Good podcast. Yeah, so that's my number five, Eating on the Wild Side. Very nice. Okay, my number five, another audiobook I listened to last year. Some good audiobooks. It is called Dimension of Miracles. Yeah, I remember you recommending this. Yeah, it was one, I don't know when I heard about this, probably high school. So I've had books since before high school that have been recommended to me, that have been on my to-read list. And I'm starting to get through some of them more now. But uh, this is one of the ones that have been on there for a long, long time. It's very similar, I would say, to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's somewhat less zany, uh, somewhat more of a plot, I would say. So maybe you'll enjoy this one more. Um, a little bit more philosophical, I think. And uh, still a lot of fun. Still a lot of uh, crazy hijinks. So it's still sort of a similar plot of there's a man from Earth and he ends up leaving the Earth and going and traveling around to some different places in outer space and having some different adventures. 
And yeah, uh, this is one I actually uh, put on the list of books that I want to read to you eventually. So um, maybe next year. Okay. We could uh, get this from the library or, or pick up a cheap paperback. Okay. And uh, it's another really short book um, in the same vein as Hitchhiker's Guide, but from some of the things you said you didn't like as much with Hitchhiker's Guide, I think you might like this one a little bit more. Okay. Or about the same. So um, I would still say Hitchhiker's Guide is better, partly nostalgia, partly I think Douglas Adams is a better writer than Robert Sheckley, but uh, very good book. Probably Robert Sheckley's best. I haven't read too many of his, but uh, haven't haven't been impressed with the one or one or two others that I've read from him. So uh, definitely check this one out. Dimension of Miracles. If you're into sci-fi at all, sci-fi, humor, philosophy, give it a go. Okay, my number four. You've been talking about all these classics that you've read. Makes yeah. me look pretty bad. Oh no! But. I have a classic that I read this year. I finally read Pride and Prejudice. Oh, That's yeah. my number four by Jane Austen. I forgot you read this. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a little bit higher wordage, I guess, higher on the literary level. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's not quite something that you can really burn through, but it it is just as witty as everybody has said it is. <laughs> If you if you like any, I, I'm not gonna say any, which movie is better, or get into any of that right now. Which movie version is better of Pride and Prejudice? But if you like any version of them, then you need to go read the book <laughs> because none of them do justice to just how reprehensible and odious and <laughs> a simpering fool of a man. Mr. Collins is. Okay. You do not understand how odious he is. And he really comes through, especially when Elizabeth's sister Kitty, or Lydia, runs off with Mr. Wickham. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. You really grow to detest Mr. Collins. And uh, a couple other things I hadn't really picked up on from the movies Mr. Bennett is actually not a very good father. Oh, yeah. uh, he's uh, he's pretty much just as much to blame for his children's behaviors as they are. Uh, he just kind of sat back and let it, let his wife raise them. And that's really dreadful of him. And another thing that I was really struck with from the book was just how deep Mr. Darcy's love was. Like... You'd, you're, there's no way that you can really comprehend this just from watching the movies. From watching the movies, you're like, oh, Mr. Darcy is just so stuck up. And yeah, you go, girl. You tell that man where to get off. Anyway, watching the movies, I always kind of sided with Elizabeth. And I was like, you know, she's got a, a point and a right to, to feel offended. Uh, but that's kind of our modern way of looking at it. Uh, you... In the book, you really see Mr. Darcy's view of it, and you really understand that he really had an all-consuming love for Elizabeth, and it had to be all-consuming for him to demean himself so much as to propose marriage to her, especially through everything that happens. So, yeah, super good book. I'm really glad that I finally got around to reading it. Yeah, that's a good one. Have you read any of her others? 
No, I haven't. I guess probably not. Sense and Sensibility is pretty good. Emma is really good. Yeah, I'm just finally starting to read classics like you are. (laughs) I got inspired by you, my hero. All right. Yeah, so that's my number five, my four, Pride and Prejudice. Awesome. So speaking of classics, like I said, went back to the beginning. My number four, kind of a cheat, but I put Homer's The Iliad and The Odyssey. So, oh boy, thousands of years old. We're still reading them today, and you should read them. Uh, The Iliad is the story of uh, the Greeks fighting the Trojans. So they're trying to attack the city of Troy, and it's um, a big. It's a bunch of battle scenes. It's a bunch of different characters with different relationships. There's um, Menelaus, whose wife Helen the famous Helen of Troy, ran off with Paris. And so he's angry and he starts this war against the Trojans. And then Agamemnon, his brother, is there to back him up. And there's uh, Achilles. And Achilles is upset with Agamemnon. And so he ends up sitting most of the book in his boats and not attacking <laughs> at all. He, he and his men are just uh, not going to fight and because he's been so grievously offended and uh, his honor has been impugned, and uh, Odysseus is there, and uh, some of these other characters, and so uh, there's some uh, pretty graphic violence, uh, a lot of heads exploding and things like that. Uh, um, definitely a, those Greeks. Definitely a masculine book, I would say. Um, a lot of a lot of um, about honor and uh, fighting, um, but. Uh, it was really good. It was another one that I knew it was going to be good, but I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. Uh, really liked it. Really liked the way that he uh, wrote um, with some of the um, metaphors that he used, uh, some really neat language. Uh, for that one, I read uh, a newer translation, Caroline Alexander, and that one was really good. I would, I would recommend that. That was a, a poetry translation. And then for the Iliad, uh, or sorry, for the for the Odyssey, that follows then Odysseus as he's been shipwrecked far away from his home, and he slowly makes his way uh, across different islands, across the sea, gets back home. There are these uh, suitors that are courting his wife because they think he's dead, and uh, really leeching off of her, and he uh, kills all of them. And that ta- wasn't in the Wishbone version, huh? And takes back his his rightful place um, as the the king of that island, um, and so it's a really interesting sea journey. Um, always like you know sea voyages in books, and uh, this one didn't disappoint. And so uh, yeah, uh, five star classics, very very influential. Of course, some of the oldest fiction that we have, and uh, yeah, really really enjoyed the the Greek literature there. I'm I'm uh, ready to read some more. I actually started reading uh, Aeschylus, the Oresteia, this year. So uh, the only trilogy of plays that we have from ancient Greece. So reading that right now. So going to keep going with those Greeks, see how far I get this year. Okay. But it uh, started with the Iliad and the Odyssey. That's where it started for me. That's where it started for everyone. <laughs> I so, say it started with the Bible. So check them out. They're long. So I understand if you don't want to devote, you know, 
few hundred pages to to a really old book, but uh, I think you should. I think at least uh, check out the Iliad. Uh, that's the one probably I would I would recommend hmm. uh, if you're gonna pick an old, a real old Greek book. I would have gone with the one. with the Odyssey, the sea voyages and yeah. monsters. And- yeah, I liked that. I liked all those things. For some reason, if I had to pick one, I might pick the Iliad though. Even huh. though I like all those things better, Odysseus is one of my favorite characters. He's amazing in both books, and yeah, the sea voyages, monsters. Uh, there's it's a better plot, I'd say, or it's better plotted in the Odyssey. There's things like a lot of flashbacks, and um, you know, there's a little bit of mystery at the beginning. Where is Odysseus? And at first, you're just following his son as his son is trying to look for him. And uh, both books have the gods, the Greek gods. Um, in very interesting way there it seems like they're running the show behind the scenes it seems like they're doing everything and you know on the other hand you see people making decisions people doing these great acts people uh, worshiping these greek gods and asking for their help and you know being able to change their minds and being able to influence them mm-hmm. and so it's a really interesting even though obviously we don't believe in greek gods um, I don't know that anyone believes in Greek gods anymore, uh, like Zeus and Apollo and them, but it's still really interesting to kind of uh, see uh, the that sort of relationship yeah. between the free will of the people and the sort of divine meddling, divine will, as yeah. it were. So, uh, yeah, hmm. really interesting books. You could even argue that they're sci-fi with those uh, yeah, the monsters and such. With the monsters and the, the Greek gods. But uh, yeah, go check those out, people. Read some classics. It's good for you. Eat those vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> you might like them. That's my number four. My cheat, because I put the Iliad and the Odyssey together. But yeah. uh, too bad. It's my list. All right. My number three is, once again, another book that we read to each other. Wow. Also by Terry Pratchett, Reaper Man. Oh, wow. So yeah. You like this one better. I love all of the death books so far. So Terry Pratchett in his Discworld universe... Mm-hmm. Uh, his death is an anthropomorphic death, and so he, you know, is a literal hooded, cowled figure. Skeletal. Uh, skeletal, carries a scythe, rides on an actual literal horse, and not a horse made out of bones or something like that. <laughs> uh, and so he kind of has all these different little quirks to him, but in this story... Death gets fired from his job <laughs> and is given a life to live. Uh, and then after that, death is going to die. Um, and somebody else is going to take his, his place, basically. But in the meantime, that's kind of caught wrecking havoc with sort of the rest of the world because there's no death going around. And so uh, the book follows two storylines. One is death and his life, and the other <laughs> is Wendell Poons and his not-death. Uh, right. He was, it, he's supposed to die, and death doesn't come to claim him. And so follows, it follows his uh, attempts to die, actually. Right. Because he was, he was ready for death. He lived a long, full life. He was ready for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, go check out my full review on Goodreads, but I really liked it. Uh, it's just, it's fun kind of how Pratchett builds up this personality around death. And you really like this character. So that's my number three, Reaper Man. Yeah, that is a really good one. 
I liked Weird Sisters a little bit better, but I can definitely, definitely see Reaper Man being a, a for favorite. me at least. Yeah, mm-hmm. I I really liked it as well. Very good. Okay, what's your three? My number three, another audiobook that I listen to. It's called A Canticle for Leibowitz. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. Have you heard of it other than for me? You mean before now? Yes. No, I mean before I told you about it back when I listened to it. Last Maybe. Year. Okay. I don't know. I'd heard about it. I knew it was sort of this sci-fi classic. I think it was written in the 50s or 60s, but I didn't know too much about it and wasn't really interested in reading it. And uh, I'm trying to remember what, I'm not sure what prompted me to pick this one up, uh, but I might have just been looking for, for an audiobook to listen to and, and grab this one. And it's it's uh, really good. I liked it a lot better than I expected, um, even when I was partway through through listening to it. So it's a book about uh, a post-apocalyptic world, uh, our world, post-apocalypse. Uh, there's been some sort of uh, nuclear holocaust. And uh, the book is basically about this order of Catholic monks that hold on to the knowledge from before uh, that nuclear holocaust and preserve it until the world is ready. Okay, so, hmm. you know, they have um, information about electricity, about different mechanical uh, uh engineering principles different textbooks and uh, they're just preserving them sort of like you might imagine uh different monks protected uh different biblical manuscripts back in the middle ages Uh, they're doing the same thing except for it's like science textbooks basically that's interesting and yeah it's really interesting so they're living in this um in this if it's basically back middle ages again um very uh, very much regressed of a civilization, very dangerous. Uh, there's even mutants now, hmm. and so it's a dangerous world out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just really interesting following that idea through the story. There's different stories about different people. It travels through time a little bit in that uh, the book is divided up into three sections. The first section is about one character, and then it jumps ahead a bit, and uh, you see... Um, people starting to start to be ready for these technologies to come back. Civilization is starting to advance again. And then you jump ahead into the third, uh, the last third of the book, and um, basically people have taken technology too far again. Hmm. Um, and it's just really interesting. Um, there's a whole lot of symbolism that probably went over my head. Um, a lot of uh, like Catholic symbolism even. Um, even as a Protestant uh, that probably went over my head or didn't impact me maybe as much as if you're Catholic. But uh, in spite of that really good book, um, another really thoughtful science fiction book where it's not a bunch of shoot 'em up uh, pew-pew action. <laughs> it's mostly about big ideas right. and mostly about um, just the things that these people do. And uh, and what they consider is their sacred duty to to carry on uh, this okay. knowledge, preserve it. So I would definitely recommend you checking this one out if you're a fan of sci-fi, of thoughtful sci-fi. Uh, either check out the audiobook like I did, or or pick up the paper book or the Kindle book. All right, that's my number three. Liked a lot more than I expected to. 
A Canticle for Leibowitz All right. by Walter M. Miller Jr. We are down to the last two. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. It gets really good here. I'm trying to remember what books you read this year that you liked this much. You're just going to have to tell me. My number two is the other classic that I read. Oh, uh, yeah. Paradise Lost. I thought about this one earlier. By John Milton. Nice. Wow. I did not expect I would like this this book that much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I figured it'd be good. You know, it's a classic. Yeah. Uh, people are still reading it. There must be something good about it. Right. But I thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know what I mean when I said that earlier. Yeah. It's poetry, but it's so beautiful, gorgeous mm. language. Uh, and... It's kind of like the contemporary Greek poetry, basically. So okay. Milton wrote, wrote it right. so that it would be kind of in the same style as the Iliad and Odyssey, where they're referring to all these classic works of the past, and mm -hmm. he references some different, uh, you know, occurrences that, like, the Greek gods would do and stuff like that. Right. So it's right. kind of, it's got this high epic poetry poetical feeling it's almost as if it's meant to be sung by a bard hmm. wow uh but wow it's incredible beautiful language and for all that it's just the story about adam and eve and their creation and their fall which is something that uh as christians is very familiar to us it was a very fresh take on it now uh, don't read this for theology, uh, for the most <laughs> sure. part, I would say. Uh, I will say, though, uh, when Milton got to the part about the world's creation, he basically just uh, quoted Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. uh, it was, it was, I mean, not verbatim, but fairly close. Uh, I guess his more imaginative parts are, you know, where he's talking about Satan and his angels and the war in heaven and such. Mm -hmm. But real quick, here are some of my thoughts on this. I thought that uh, whether or not you think Milton's theology is completely correct as to, you know, there are some people that'll sit there and analyze and think, yeah, this maybe this is really how it happened, or and this is how Milton thought it actually happened, you know, mm -hmm. back at the beginning. Uh, whether or not you think he's correct on that, you can tell that he was, one, well-educated, and two, he really loved the Bible, and he <laughs> had studied and studied it. He quotes uh, and makes references to several different, a bunch of different passages all throughout the Bible, and you can tell that the Bible was his passion. Hmm. And then uh, one thing that I was really impressed with, he included a salvation message in his last uh, chapter oh, book really? of hmm. this poem. Yeah, and, and it's, very, it's pretty clear, I think. Uh, and you can tell that while he was having fun and, and he, uh, he's writing this great epic and work and fantastic tale... He's also trying to point people to Christ with it at the hmm. same time. That's interesting. Yeah. And uh, I kind of felt like this poem is kind of like the Bible in that the more you study and read it, the more new things you'll find. So uh, this was the first time that I read it all the way through. Mm -hmm. And there were some things that just completely went way over my head. 
Right. Uh, and I got inspired to read this book because the Sci-Fi Christian was doing a bunch of episodes on their reading of it. Yeah. And so I would read through it and I'd pick up on some things and then I'd listen to the podcast episodes about it and they'd talk about some things that I hadn't picked up, some themes and some ideas that, you know, when they mentioned it, I was like, yeah, I can actually see that. And then, of course, there were other things that, I mean, there's just so much in this poem that I think even on your 10th, 20th read, you're still going to be hmm. finding new things in this. I mean, there's a reason people study this right. and, and devote their lives to it, probably, because it's, it's kind of like the Bible in that sense. Hmm. You're always going to find something new. I will be posting... Some more thoughts on Goodreads uh, regarding this. Okay. I haven't yet, but it's on my to-do list. Nice. But yeah, definitely you guys should go check out Paradise Lost. There's a reason it's a classic. My number two. Nice, yeah. Look forward to getting to Milton as I march through those classics. All right, well, my number two on a well, somewhat lighter note than some of the previous books I've been discussing, maybe some, a couple of the ones you were just talking about, uh, certainly lighter than Paradise Lost. It was a book by Tim Powers, and if you haven't heard of Tim Powers, uh, he's, pr I think, now that Terry Pratchett has passed away, my favorite living author. Huh. And uh, real quick, I'll just give you the, the Tim Powers spiel. He writes his books as if they were secret histories. So he'll just read history, just read about different things that happened in real life, real history, and he'll start seeing different things, uh, little incongruities, little odd things that happen in history, and think, huh, well, that's that's interesting. Uh, that's That doesn't quite make sense, or uh, the dates don't quite match up in that story. And he'll start noticing those, maybe uh, centered around a certain time period, and decide he's going to concoct this explanation for why all those things happened. Uh, usually some sort of supernatural explanation. And so he ends up fusing fiction with nonfiction in this really interesting way. Um, and then he adds in uh, really fun characters, really fun story, uh, usually pretty action-packed. Um, he dislikes moralizing. He doesn't like adding morals to his story at all. Okay. Um, which is interesting. Um, he he is Catholic, and uh, but doesn't think you should add uh, morals to art. He thinks art should just. Um, I guess you should be able to draw lessons. Well, good good luck on with your that. Own. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of difficult for humans to do. Right. Well, and he means he doesn't want to consciously think. All he right. This want is it what preaching. I right. This is what I want to teach people by writing this book. Uh, I guess he wants those things to come out more organically or more subconsciously. Okay. Uh, so that's, it's kind of an interesting take, kind of a different take from, from a lot of other people's work uh, that I thought was interesting. Anyway, Tim Powers, really good. Almost all of his books are five stars for me or high four stars. And this one is my new favorite of his. It's called The Anubis Gates. Okay. And boy... uh I don't want to say too much about it because it's another one where it's real fun to figure out the plot, figure out what all is going on. But uh, basically it takes place in Victorian England and uh, there's some 
Uh, there's a man from present day uh, that travels back to Victorian England and has some adventures there. Uh, there's all sorts of interesting things that happen with Lord Byron and uh, Samuel Taylor Coleridge and some other historical characters and some uh, totally made up characters that he invented. And uh, boy, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. One of the most fun books that I've read in a while. Uh, my favorite of his so far. And uh, this is another one I listened to the audiobook for, so you can check this one out. Uh, yeah. Or actually, this might be one that I want to read to you. Maybe you can read a different Tim Powers. Boo. By yourself. I was really getting excited about it. <laughs> An audiobook. Yeah, I was going to go check that right out. Well, we'll see. Maybe you can listen to the audiobook and I'll read a different one to you of his. But uh, yeah, really like him. So, uh, go check out Tim Powers. If you haven't read him, I'm going to I'm gonna clang that Tim Powers drum and evangelize him a little bit. He, I think he's uh, vastly underrated and uh, should be far better known than he is. I think he's more, much more of a niche, niche author. But uh, I think if you enjoy sci-fi fantasy, if you enjoy imaginative fiction, then uh, you'd like Tim Powers. So, go check him out. That's my number two, The Anubis Gates by All Tim right. Powers. Moving off of epic classic poetry. Okay. Like you were just saying, on to some really lighthearted fluff. Hmm. I guess yours isn't fluff. No. But mine's fairly fluffy. Okay. But it okay. was just a romp and good time. Boy, so I don't, I don't remember what this is. So, several episodes ago, we did top 10 superheroes or comic book characters with uh, okay, your okay. brother I Zach. You were graphic novels on your Yep. And you guys both had Spider-Man on your lists. Spoiler. <laughs> and I didn't have him even pop up in my list at all. And you guys were aghast at that. And I said, well, I, all I have to go on is the movies. And I'm not super impressed, per se. So, Zach took action. He <laughs> let me borrow his uh, comic books of the first 30 issues or so. Yeah. Written by Stan Lee, illustrated by Steve Ditko. Yep. And my number one is issues one through 30 of Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man. Wow. wow. Oh, my goodness. Such a romping good time. So <laughs> uh, I'm, I kind of really see why everybody loves Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, he's just your average everyday guy at a time when uh, superheroes to everybody, you know, up to this point had been... Uh, these big brawny guys and and these really powerful people. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Peter Parker is just a high school kid, right? And he's got high school problems. He's trying to impress the girls and trying to get good grades. There's a bully that he has to deal with. Uh, he's got his doting Aunt May that he's uh, got to hide his secret from, and so he's <laughs> uh, and then. Like, all sorts of uh, issues that he has to deal with that he's always thinking, you know what, I bet other superheroes don't have to deal with this. <laughs> like, at one time, at one point, he loses his costume through a series <laughs> of events. So he has to go to a costume store and buy one <laughs> off the racks. <laughs> and then when he uh, go falls into the bay at one point... The costume 
since it's made of really cheap material, it starts to shrink on him. <laughs> so like his ankles are showing and his wrists and, and it's getting really tight on him. And he's like, man, I really got to go try and track down my other other costume. And maybe I should make a second costume so that this doesn't happen again. <laughs> and he really wants to find somebody to make it for him, but he just has to sew it himself. And he's really bad at sewing. And it's just, it's fun. He's so human. Yeah. For all that he's superhuman. <laughs> and uh, uh, it's kind of fun seeing his rivalry with the Human Torch and sort of a friendly rivalry. And he's so misunderstood. Like, everybody wonders if maybe maybe he's a menace when he's just trying to do good. <laughs> but J. Jonah Jameson is out there stirring up the masses against him. And uh, the the villains are very colorful, uh, very creative, I'd say. Yeah. And, yeah, it was just so much fun. Uh, you guys should go check out the at least the first 30 issues of Spider-Man were really fun. Nice. Yep. Yeah, I think those hold up pretty well. Uh, they're, I mean, they're a little bit cheesy. Yeah, a little bit, uh, but they're still. A little bit dated, but. They're, they're fun. They're still fun, yeah. Yeah. All right. My number one is another one of those books that left me feeling exhilarated, like I told you about Hitchhiker's Guide. And, wow. Oh, what a book. It's, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, it's Anathem by Neil Stevenson. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And, okay, this is an almost thousand page book that I read in 10 days. I've never seen this man so consumed by a book. It's been a while since I've devoured a book like that. And it's just amazing. Uh, it was really kind of shocking to me because usually I'm the one that goes and binges on something. Yeah. And you're able to restrain yourself. And, and I couldn't tear you away from this. You were begging to... <laughs> to let me keep me from interrupting you so that you could just keep reading. Yeah, for that 10 days this was what I did with any any scrap of free time that I had. It's uh it's science fiction. Um uh, I'll say just a little bit about the plot. It's centered on a basically a scientific monastery. So there's monks that live in this a cloister or a abbey or monastery, um, monks and nuns, but instead of studying religion or studying uh, scriptures, they're studying science. And you're not really sure when you start reading why exactly they're there. You're not exactly sure what their purpose is, um, but it's really interesting uh, just to... Uh, find out more about this world, find out more about uh, the science as they talk about it, um, find out more about uh, some of the math things they talk about. There's some math, a lot of philosophy, a ton of philosophy. Like I'd say more philosophy than, than probably anything else. Hmm. And so much of the book is just characters talking. Like there's whole chapters where it's just characters at dinner talking about philosophy. And if that sounds boring to you, then definitely don't <laughs> check this out because it's a long book, not a lot of action, although there is some, and it's good uh, when it comes. But 
uh, I found myself looking forward to those dinner conversations <laughs> um, as as being the best parts of the book. Uh, some really, really great ideas. Very, very imaginative. Um, uh, Stevenson packs so many great ideas into his books. Um, the only other one that I've read of his uh, at this point is Cryptonomicon, which I read in high school and didn't really like. Um, I might go back and read it at some point um, because it's the kind of thing that I should like. But uh, So I didn't really have too high expectations for Anathem, but it was, it was mind-blowing. Uh, one of my favorite books of all time. Uh, definitely my number one from this year. Uh, I don't reread books very often. Uh, mostly if I'm reading them to you, I'll reread books. I'll reread a book that I know I liked that I read years ago and I want to share with you. Um, or I'm sure when Lydia is a little bit older, we'll want to read books to her that we read uh, when we were younger. I'd share them with her, but this is one that I definitely want to reread at some point. And I'm not sure when I'm going to have time to do that since it's almost a thousand pages. But uh, yeah, really an amazing book. If you're at all interested in uh, philosophy and sci-fi, if you can... Um, it's it's really hard to recommend a thousand page book to someone, especially as such a niche book that I'm not really sure if someone would like it unless they uh, really like this specific subject matter. But uh, if that sounded interesting to you at all, then I highly, highly recommend going and checking out Anathem by Neil Stevenson. Okay. All right, so Melissa, did you have any honorable mentions? Actually, I didn't. Uh, okay. I mean, I felt that these were the best books. I did try to broaden out my scope a little bit from just my generic sci-fi fantasy. Yeah. And and so that's why I did try to read some different genres. Uh, I don't feel that there was anything else too too fantastic from my list. Okay. So. Uh, did you want to mention any of your, your Goodreads stats? So Goodreads at the end of the year will give you sort of a year in books report and just tell you some different interesting stats about the books that you read. Yeah, sure. Okay, so the shortest book I read was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, 176 pages. Yeah, it was special. Hmm. <laughs> My longest book was Magician Master by Raymond Feist. It was the second book. Really? It was 499 pages. Oh, wow. Uh, the most popular book on Goodreads, and by that I mean the most pe book that the most number of people have read, was Pride and Prejudice. Surprise, oh, yeah, surprise. Yeah. And then the books that the least number of people have read were the Amazing Spider-Man comic books. Okay. So, the other Pride and Prejudice was like two million uh, people have read it. Spider Man was four hundred fifty six people. Right, which a lot of people have read the actual comic books or read them in different forms. I'm sure, just didn't read the the collected trades reprinted like that. And then one more, the book that I read that had the highest rating yeah. on Goodreads was Reaper Man. Really? Yeah. Okay, wow. So those are my stats. Awesome. All right. Uh, so real quick for me, all of my top 10 were five-star books, and I had six more 
five star books that will make honorable mention. So Weird Sisters, you already mentioned. I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. Really good book. It's a... I feel like I've talked about this in a previous episode, but it's a book about vampires, and it's really been influential on the uh, zombie horror genre. Okay. Uh, You know, mindless monsters coming up against uh, the the man alone. The good guy, yeah. Right. Last man on earth kind of thing. And... Uh, but for all that, it's really just a story about this man, about uh, him being alone, about his memory with his memories, um, about his loneliness, and uh, it's a really good, really good yeah. book. Uh, okay. Five stars. Maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, check that one out. Uh, also, listen to the audiobook for that one, so you can listen to that if you like. Uh, Riddle Master of Head by Patricia McKillop and the sequel, Heir of Sea and Fire. Fairly generic premise, you know the. A young farmer boy leaves on some sort of quest and has the uh, wise old mentor that help him help him along. Uh, But uh, really well written, almost poetic in some passages and some some different twists on the on the story. So I give those five stars. I would I would definitely recommend those for uh, like some good young adult fiction. Wizard of Earthsea by Ursica. Ursula K. Le Guin, another good, um, s- somewhat uh, generic uh, setup. Uh, young boy becomes a wizard and yada yada, uh, but really, really well executed. Very good writing. And Phantom Tollbooth, which you already talked about earlier okay. by Norton Jester. And then uh, for my uh, statistics, so I had rated uh, 18 books five stars, 17 books four stars, three books, uh, nine books three stars, one book was a two star. And one book was a one star. So All my right. average is pretty high. Um, I read, you know, starting reading classics, starting books that I think I'm going to like. Um, so that was pretty good. Uh, let's see. I read 31 new authors of those 45 books. I thought that was pretty interesting how many new authors I was able yeah, to read. Yeah, good job. Uh, we read four together. I don't know if we mentioned if you were keeping track while you were talking, but we read four together, yeah. I believe. Um, I read over 14,000 pages last year so that's kind of cool put a number on that shortest book i read was the turn of the screw by henry james 121 pages don't Uh, watch the movie it's dreadful yeah don't watch the movie uh three star book it was okay uh longest already mentioned anathem 937 pages Uh, so the average is uh right above 300 pages for me uh the most popular about a million people on goodreads uh read it hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and the least popular is a book only 11 people have read on Goodreads. Whoa. It's called The Devil's Dictum. It's a self-published book by uh, one of my Goodreads friends. And so I decided, hey, friends with this guy, go check out his book. And it's the premise is alternate history instead of the pilgrims and the Puritans and those uh, religious settlers getting to America. Instead, it's pirates that colonize America. Hmm. And so... It treads, it's it's really ridiculous in some ways. Like, Adolf Hitler is the president of the United States, ridiculous. <laughs> um, and, like, all the worst people in history being president of the United States. And it's just, you know, this horrible, horrible country. And there's no women in the whole country. It's just men. And, um, you know, there's, like... That's not going to last long. They're, they're, like, they're all Satan worshipers and things like that. Yeah, and so most of the book, you're, like... This couldn't really happen. And then part of the book, you're thinking, well, I mean, I guess it could possibly have happened that way. No, no, it really couldn't have. Anyway, it's pretty interesting. Uh, I get four stars. 
Um, pretty good self-published book. Highest rated was The Martian by Andy Weir. That's the one that I thought you yeah. were going to mention earlier. Um, I gave it three stars. It was Instead good. Of the prestige. It was good. We talked about this in our movies episode. Um, three stars. Not bad, but come on, guys. Four, 4.37 on Goodreads. It's not that good. Um, and then um, I already mentioned, read the book and saw the movie for The Martian and The Prestige. So those are my honorable mentions. Whew. That was fun. Yeah. I liked that episode. Yeah. And we hope you guys enjoyed listening to it. Uh, let us know whether you did or didn't. And if there's any books that you read this year and you'd like to tell us about, we'd love to hear about them. You can email us, tto at cozer.us, or you can comment on our website, tto.cozer.us. And if you add a slash 28 on the end, you'll go straight to the show notes for this episode. Yeah, we'll put links to our Goodreads accounts if you want to read our reviews of these books. Yeah, come join us on Goodreads, guys. We'd love to hear about your favorite books. Yeah, definitely. Coming soon next week, you'll be hearing about our top 10 board games of all time. It's going to be epic. Oh, yeah. This This is something we look forward to every year. Yep, yep. We were doing this before the podcast. That's right. So anyway, until next time, I'm Melissa Kozer. I'm Brian Kozer. And you've been listening to 10 to 1. So, Brian. Yeah. Most disappointing book of the year and also... (sighs) Worst book of the year. Right. For me, it was two different ones. Uh, Most disappointing slash made me the angriest of the year. Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. Uh, So many people that I know gave this five stars, and I have no idea why. Like, this is just bad fan fiction. It's poorly written. The characters, none of the characters are likable. The things that they say are ridiculous. Things they do are ridiculous. Um, I mean... You've got this world where you can, where you have this virtual reality, which almost everyone can access in the world. And what do our main characters do? They sit around in uh, and watch old, bad 80s movies on a couch and play arcade games like Pac-Man. What are you doing? You have a, a virtual reality where you can fly around and do anything and you're playing Pac-Man inside? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Uh, this is total 80s nostalgia, which... I don't have, I guess. Granted. Being but, born in the nineties. Right. Well eighty nine. Yeah. Practically nineties. But uh, no, it's just it's terrible. It's fan fiction. And it was bad. I did finish it. Give it two stars because I was interested enough to find find out how it ended, but I don't see what everybody was was so uh so happy about with this book. Not a good book at all. Definitely not checking out anymore, Ernest Klein. Sorry, Ernest. Uh, but worst book of the year. Uh, all right, well, shall I do my most disappointing, and then we'll both do our worst? Oh, I thought you... I didn't know you had two separate ones. I yeah, do. Go yeah. for it. Okay, so my most disappointing one was one that almost everybody rated five stars, and I okay. thought it was a three-star book. Okay. The Ocean at the End of the Lane oh, by really? Neil Gaiman. I didn't like this yeah, one as much. Yeah, I... I I think it just got overhyped to me. Uh, okay. I th- 
Yeah, I mean, it explores some different thoughts, and you know, there's a few things that are、uh, deeper things that are going on under the surface. But overall, I just wasn't super impressed with it. The deeper things underlying aren't、uh, just didn't jump out enough to really, you know, make me think, "Oh、okay. yeah, that's so cool." Right. Like I noticed them, and I thought, "Well, that's okay, I guess." But、yeah. I wasn't really impressed. And then throughout the whole book, I kept on getting a little interested and thinking, "Oh yeah, that's kind of interesting." And then I'd lose interest again, and. Uh, just kind of keep on plotting through because it is a short book, and I was, you know, I thought, well, I can at least finish it before the end of the year. But then I get something else would happen, and I think, oh yeah, that's kind of cool, and then it would just get boring again, and I just was not impressed with it at all. I think it's overhyped. I、hmm. think people、okay. read more into it than they need to. That's just me. Uneducated, uncultured me that <laughs> apparently can't appreciate high art the way other people can. So I get. You, I think this is a three star book. Would you read Neil Gaiman? Would you read any more of his? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I wasn't really impressed. Okay. I know everybody. Everybody praises him. The Sci Fi Christian really likes yeah, him. He's a really good author. So,、uh, I mean, I, I'll probably check out another book, but for now, I'm not. I'm not fired up to go check him out. Again,、right. the way、right. I was. Yeah. So that was my most disappointing book. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, and I'm back on Ready Player One. There's this scene where the main character and his best friend are in this virtual basement, and they're arguing about this dumb '80s movie, and they're arguing poorly. Like it's not like you read it and doesn't even read like a real argument. It's just, it's terrible, and then there's this kid in there with them that doesn't know about this dumb '80s movie and who the director was or something, and they start bullying him because he doesn't memorize all this stupid '80s trivia. <laughs> it's ridiculous, and they're they're put off as there's nothing wrong with that. There's never any time where oh I shouldn't have bullied this boy for for not knowing these stupid facts. Nope, terrible. Well, how、Terrible. often do we make fun of somebody who doesn't know some bit of pop culture, and we think they should? Pop culture Actually, is not going to make. Actually, don't usually do make... that, but、yeah. I have plenty of other flaws. Okay, well, people、so. in general, though, you mean you've never watched Star Wars, or you don't like Star Trek, or something like you never、uh-huh. heard of that? Come on, we do that too. That's a classic human flaw. You're not into this thing that I'm into. It's never like presented as. This is ironic, or you know, this is something that people do. Okay, it's more okay. like, hey, look, this is why the main character is cool. It's terrible. <laughs> anyway, surprisingly though, not the worst book I read last year. Worst was Elantris by Brandon Sanderson, and、uh, this is one star book for me. Did not finish. Wow. Got I think a third of the way through and quit.、Uh, the characters are terrible. You have three main characters. You have. I don't remember his name, but he's perfect. And well, okay, okay. Before I start, tell me if this sounds interesting. There's this city of immortal beings. They have superpowers. They never die. They they give plenty of good things to the world. It's this shining, gleaming city. 
and then one day something happens and uh, these immortals start dying they no longer have their powers they basically become zombies they're living dead and nobody knows why it's happened that's how it starts sounds kind of interesting. i know it's a great premise very good premise well how about you spend the first third of the book not talking about that at all (laughs) not figuring out anything about that mystery prolongs the suspense there are some interesting things like how would life be if you were still immortal but uh your body could never heal itself so for example Uh... they stub their toe and that pain stays forever it never heals that's dreadful and so basically these people start going you know insane basically and it's really interesting but uh that's interesting but none of the characters are and the plot is super slow uh it reads like okay so there's that that character that i mentioned he has no flaws he's just perfect guy but he happens to be one of these immortals that's um dying so i guess that's supposed to be the one interesting thing about him but it's not there's the main lady character who is perfect in every way except she can't paint but she's a but she's perfect in every other way she's a master politician and you're told all these things about her and you're not shown them no no you're not shown that she's a master politician (laughs) there's some really dumb parts where she's like in this council and she convinces people to see things her way uh and it it reads terribly like really poorly written not realistic at all and then the third main character he's somewhat interesting he's this uh, foreign priest of this weird religion and you don't really learn anything about him at all but he's kind of interesting he's the most interesting of the three and so these three characters are the most well-rounded in the book these three characters then wander through it feels like they're wandering through a bunch of um, store mannequins or cardboard cutouts. <laughs> it feels like there's a bunch of cardboard cutouts set out by the author. And then these three main characters, which are two-dimensional, are just wandering through <laughs> and doing things. Oh, man. I really disliked this book. And I've heard some... I've He's a really well-regarded author. There's some of his books that I think I will check out at some point. Um, this is only his first novel. So I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, first novel, not great. Maybe his later ones are better. Um, but as of now, my impression of him is sort of a George Lucas type, really great ideas, really poor execution. So I'm sorry, Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> and George Lucas. And I'm sorry, Brandon Sanderson fans out there. Maybe there aren't any listening, but I know there are a bunch out there. But uh, so far, I'm not impressed. So Melissa... Tell me about the worst book you read this year. All right, worst book had a lot of good reviews, okay. and uh, it—I mean—it's just one of those you read the back, and I know every book, uh, you know, they only print on the back high praise for yeah, it. Of course, but you know this this book, you know, there were people from really eminent sources that are saying hmm. this is destined to become a classic. It's so, you know, wonderful and all that. Okay. Two stars. Yeah. If on a winter's night, a traveler. Oh, oh no. By Italo Calvino. Oh, no. Yeah. This is one I'm really this interested was a to bad read. Book. Okay. Oh, no, I'm so interested Here's to read why. it. Here's why. Okay, no spoilers, because okay. I am still going to read it. 
Yeah, I'm not going to tell you any of the plot. Okay. Uh, it is, it, now I will say, it's a cleverly written story. Yeah. And it does have, uh, and you'll you'll see this on the back, so it's not a spoiler. Okay. It's kind of, it kind of does the world within worlds idea. Right, right. Kind of I like C.S. Lewis did uh, with with Narnia and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's always such a cool idea. I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. That being said. I hated the language of this book. Okay. It might be because it's a translation yeah, uh, yeah. from Italian, but the book is just filled with run-on sentences that just go on and on oh, and on. Yeah. I think that's his style. Yeah. Oh, it's a dreadful style. Very long paragraphs mm. with often confusing and technical language. Yeah. And so you get to the end of the paragraph, this <laughs> paragraph that's... Uh, I don't know, seven inches long. I'm not kidding. Okay, full uh, page. Sometimes a pa- yeah, almost a full page. Sometimes, and you think, what on earth did I just read? <laughs> and so you have to read it five yeah. times to figure out what on earth he said. And some sometimes he's just nattering on meaninglessly about something. Okay. And <laughs> oh man. Uh, and then because of that, this isn't a book that you can just pick up and read uh, when right, you've got right. spare time. Okay. No, you need to you need to marry this book <laughs> and dedicate your life to it. <laughs> uh, you you want to at least have an hour of time when you sit down to read this book. Ideally, two hours, so that you can at least do it one full chapter at a time. Because otherwise, you're going to be lost. And you will have to spend all of your time just rereading the same old uh, beginning pa- uh, paragraphs of that chapter just to figure out what's been going on. Yeah. And then to try and figure out, okay, so here's what's been going on previously uh, in each of the chapters. So basically, there's 10 chapters mm-hmm. or so in this book, and each chapter is a different story. That gets interrupted at a crucial moment, <laughs> and so uh, there's also this backstory where the the reader is trying to find the rest of the one story, and so he gets directed onto this other source, and oh yeah, that's where the rest of the story is, and you can find it there. So he goes there, and they give him yeah, here's the rest of such and such story, and it actually is a completely different story. Okay. And so it's really cool how the author Italo Calvino brings all of these ten plots together, and that that right there is really cool. And that did keep it from being a one star book, but I the language, hmm. oh my goodness, it's so awful. It just totally bogs down this book. And if you're single, you might really enjoy this book. Uh, if you're married and you've got a job and a kid, <laughs> if you're a stay-at-home mom, this is not the book for you, okay? Okay. There is, you, you're just not going to have the time to really enjoy this. <laughs> okay. Um, one further thing. Uh, it has sex scenes in it, fairly graphic sex scenes in it. And Calvino proves right from the beginning that he's like a really good storyteller. And so when these sex scenes keep on popping up one right after the other in chapter after chapter, uh, it starts to feel kind of like he ran out of story material. And he's like, well, I better just throw in a sex scene and, <laughs> and that'll keep people interested. It's like, come <laughs> on, man. You, we, you've already proved that you're a better writer than this. Come up with actual plot 
there is no need for these sex scenes. They add nothing to it, to the story. Hmm. So I, I just, I was so disappointed in this book. It was, it's just so badly, it's a good plot that's badly written. Hmm. So. Okay. I. Well. <laughs> So I read I'm not going to feel bad if this colors your perception of it. <laughs> so I read I, I read uh one of his books Invisible Cities in 2016. Didn't make my top 10. It was 4 stars out of 5. I thought it was well written. Um it's it's basically um it's almost like poems. It's not poetry, but it's almost like poems about some different weird cities. And I thought it was good. It was really weird if it meant if it had some deeper meaning. I didn't get it went over my head. Um but I was um interested to check out some more of his work. So uh, I think I'll still read If on a Winter's Night of Traveler and uh, maybe we'll come back next year for next uh, <laughs> year's episode. I'm interested we'll see. to see what, what you think of it. I'll let you know what, what I thought about it. Try to approach it with a blank slate, but yeah, yeah I'm still going to predict. Bear in mind. I'm still going to predict three or four stars for you've, it. You've been warned. Based on his previous book. Yeah. Um, his, his book, his other book I would say is somewhat hard to read, but I've heard it's his most accessible so yeah i'm not um i'm not surprised that you didn't really get into this one because i've i've heard that his other books are fairly dense and not easy reads for sure well if you don't like that book then we're definitely tossing it and even if you do like it i'm still voting for tossing it (laughs) okay well that's fine we can always free up more space on the bookshelves exactly